Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8. Now, if you're listening for the first time, welcome. Uh, but uh, uh, just so you know, on Wednesdays, we study the Old Testament. And then on uh, Sundays, we go through the New Testament. And so here we are in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And remember, Moses is giving his final discourse to the children of Israel. And before they uh, uh, cross to the promised land. And here in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. Now, these are passages in the Torah, a passage from Deuteronomy, the last book of the Torah, the Pentateuch. And when we see this, we must look at passages such as this, uh, through the lens of the new covenant and standing firmly on the rock of Jesus Christ. Remember, we are new covenant believers. These passages such as this, I mean, it, it just so happens that we're in our studies on Sunday through Galatians. Uh, and if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to our study through Galatians. All of it. Get yourself caught up because there's the introduction to Galatians and then there's Galatians chapter 1, 2, 3, and then uh, get caught up with our studies because it's very important to, to understand these things because righteousness doesn't come through the law and we're looking at the law. Deuteronomy is one of the chief books that are cited, that is cited the most among the Hebrew Roots Movement. Deuteronomy, uh, Numbers, and Leviticus. Those are the three biggest books that are cited the most in the Hebrew Roots Movement. And then you have, uh, after that would be uh, Exodus, and then after that would be Genesis. Genesis is very rarely cited among the Hebrew Roots Movement because that's where we look at the promise uh, to Abraham. And so when we look at passages such as this, I mean, look at verse 1. I mean, we're Christians. We're born-again Christians. You and me. Now, if you're listening and it just so happens that you're not a believer, I'm going to give you the gospel message in a nutshell. Cut it out. <laughs> Don't be unbelieving anymore. We are living in a time where it's, you know, I've talked to atheists. I've talked to agnostics, you know, agnostics, they're, you know, oh, I'm not an atheist, I don't believe in it, but I am agnostic. Now, I've had these conversations with these people 10 years ago, and they just dismissed the Christian faith, oh, you guys are crazy, and I get it, I understand that, but at the same time, and I, I understand that, but, you know, arguably, you know, when when I pose the question, well, why do you think Christians are crazy? They could say, well, I watch TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, and I see, you know, the lady with the big hair and her big makeup and all these things. And it's like, okay, I get it. You know, that's crazy. I, I, you, you can't disagree with that. That's just straight up crazy. Now, what they don't understand is that prophetically speaking, the church, Christians, will be crazy, straight up crazy town. Remember, the last day's church has four categories. False, apostate, entering apostasy, and true. Those are the four categories. The majority are straight up crazy town. Now, the remnant of these last days, that's why when you talk to these atheists, these non-believers, these uh, Satanists even, uh, Luciferians, that's a, that's kind of like a, a different category. But the Satanists, you know, sometimes they're Satanists because, uh, you know, people... Uh, 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 as the Bible says, people love the light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. But then I've had these conversations with the Satanists and, you know, they hate God 
because of what they see among Christians. And when you have these conversations with these people and, you know, tell them, like, look, it's prophesied. The church has to be apostate. It doesn't have to be, but it's one of the signs of the last days. And then you throw that, you know, to have these conversations, they're like, wow, I don't know what's going on in the world, but this world is crazy. This world is going nuts. This world is this and that. It's like, okay, well, it's prophetic. It's prophetic. And to talk to these Satanists and they're like, wow, I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before. And then boom, you're you're planting these seeds. You're planting these seeds. And sometimes they just say, you know what? Tell me more about Jesus. Tell me more about this. And then they leave the dark and enter the light. And if that's you, you not you might not be a straight up Satanist, but you know, if 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 you're not in the camp of Jesus Christ, well, I'll be straight up with you. If you're not in the camp of Jesus Christ, Satan doesn't have to worry about you. Because he knows he's going to burn in hell and he wants to drag all of God's creation with him. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, Satan doesn't have to worry about you. He's got you. Okay? Now, I'm also going to frighten you a little bit. If you die without Jesus Christ, you will burn in hell. Straight up. I can't candy coat that. That's, that's, you know, I've had these, you know, sometimes Christians, they get mad at me. Oh, when you preach the gospel, don't say this. Don't, don't tell anybody about hell. Let's just love on these people. I get that. I, I, I completely get that. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, wait a second. So God sent his son into the world to save us. Okay, so from what? Save us from what? A bad day? Save us from what? No, hell. Damnation. Straight up lake of fire. Straight up burning, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. I don't want that. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I don't, I don't, if you're Luciferian, if you're Satanist, I don't want that for you. If you're Hindu, if you're whatever, I don't want that for you. That's why I like to say, get in the boat, get in the ark, capital A, and that's Jesus Christ. You see? And if that's you, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you want to receive him as your Lord and Savior, Hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to add something to this. You commit your life to Jesus Christ and praise be to the Lord. But then listen to our studies through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And it will help you understand growth and maturity in Christ. It's very important because a lot of times people are like, okay, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian, you know, and praise be to the Lord. But then... People go into crazy town. They believe in Jesus Christ, but then they follow what uh, what the TV says, what Tricking Believers Nightly says, TBN. It's like, wait a second. Let's, let's see what the Bible says about growing and maturing in Christ. And so if that's you, you commit your life to Jesus Christ, and, you know, praise be to the Lord, and then you come back and you listen. When we see passages like this in chapter 8, verse 1, he's, He says, every commandment which I give you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply. Now, Christians, Christians are seduced by verses such as this, seduced into the law. You see, and that's not a good thing. You say, well, wait a second. It's in the Bible and you always say, obey the Bible and you know, do what the Bible says. Okay, yes, do what the Bible says. But in accordance to the one who speaks, 
in accordance to the one who speaks, which is the Lord, God, our Father, and Jesus. Remember, the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ was, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You say, wait a second, you, you, God and Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who says, I and my Father are one. Elohim, the triune nature of God. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see? And it just so happens that on Sunday, when the Lord says, you know, I, I will give you the, uh, 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 the Spirit of my Son in your heart who cries out, Abba, Father. It just so happens that we study that on Sunday. You see, the triune nature of God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what happens is a lot of unsuspecting Christians, we read passages like this, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. And we're like, okay, so it's in the Bible. So I'm going to do these things. I'm going to reread Leviticus and I'm going to do these things. I'm going to reread Numbers. I'm going to study Numbers and I'm going to do those things because it is written. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. So, okay, I'm going to do that. It is written. But then don't forget, it is also written. You see, it is also written. It's very, very, very important to remember sometimes these seducers, these messengers of Satan, these people who present themselves as ministers of righteousness, they'll come and they'll teach like a Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. And they'll say, look, the Bible says this. So therefore, and it's true. The Bible does say it. The, it's absolutely true. You say, wait a second, how can you say he's a minister of Satan and yet you say what he speaks is absolutely true? How can it be a bad thing? Well, okay. A beautiful, beautiful bacon cheeseburger with sliced avocado. Oh my goodness, I, I say it and my mouth is already watering. Now my mind is, oh boy, wow, a beautiful bacon cheeseburger. Not the cheap kind, you know, a, yeah, one that's worthy of its price tag, a good burger. Now, if I give you a plate of that, you're going to love it. I guarantee you, you're going to absolutely love this bacon cheeseburger with the best cheese on there. Oh, it's just, it's going to be awesome. And then when you're done, you're going to say, wow, that was such a good burger. That was awesome. And then say somebody else comes, it's the next day, and we do it again, we have another burger. And then somebody says, hey, you know what, here, uh, have this burger, it's, it's going to taste exactly the same as you had the other day, except I put a little arsenic in it. You see, so, okay, so you're, we're going to eat the burger, it's going to taste the same, we're going to love it, but then we're also going to die, because it has arsenic. You see, so sometimes when people say, well, wait a second, you know, this, this guy who you say is a minister of Satan, he says these things, you know, verse one, every commandment, which I command you today, you must be careful to observe and look, it is in the Bible. It is true. Yes, it is true. And so these ministers of Satan, they use truth just like they use the bacon cheeseburger, except in the bacon cheeseburger, they sprinkle a little arsenic. You won't taste it but it'll kill you. The same thing in the Bible. You say, whoa, how, how could you say that? Because this is Holy Scripture. Absolutely, it's Holy Scripture. But as New Covenant believers, you must listen to our study through Galatians because the law is holy, 
but it's the lesser glory. The greater glory is Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. And the law itself is the additive. The law is a tutor. It is the additive to what? The promise. The promise unto Abraham. And it was accounted under unto Abraham for righteousness' sake. You see? And he received the promise. And it's the law that was added. Now the law was added, and it's it points to Jesus Christ. It leads to Jesus Christ because remember, it's a tutor. And so now that we have Jesus Christ, I mean, 2,000 years ago, love came down in the form of a child, give or take a couple years. He died on the cross. And those who believe in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. Now, the law isn't effectuated by our belief in Jesus Christ. The law is terminated because of our belief in Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't say like the law is completely over. It's just not applicable when you or me are abiding in Jesus Christ. So say, for example, I'm not under the law. I'm abiding in Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, I beat on my wife. I cheat on my wife. I start doing murder and all these different things. I, I'm, you know, I enter crazy town. I do the crack. I do the drugs. I do the uh, all kinds of disgusting things of the flesh. Now, number one, if that happens, I can never be a pastor. I've abdicated my pastoral responsibility. I can never be a pastor. Now, when I was formerly abiding in Christ, I am now outside of Christ. I'm under the law. And the law at that point is, the law is terminated when I was abiding in Christ. Terminated, not terminated for everybody, terminated from, like it's not applicable to me because I was abiding in Jesus Christ. Now, I do all those things of the flesh and I just, I, I am no longer abiding in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm back under the law. And if I'm back under the law, the law is still a tutor to bring me back to Christ, except it's more difficult this time around because my heart is harder this time around. And that's when, when you read in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 6, since I mentioned it, let's turn there. In Hebrews 6, uh, verse 4, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. You see? That's in the example I gave. I'm abiding in Jesus Christ. The law is canceled for me. It's the law is still in effect, but it's not for me because I'm abiding in Jesus Christ. Now say I beat on my wife, cheat on my wife. I do the crack. I do the, uh, you know, all kinds of disgusting things of the flesh. I do the just gross things. And then all of a sudden I am no longer abiding in Christ. And you're going to see the fruit of it. You, you, you will absolutely definitely see the fruit of it. Yeah, that's how the Lord works. He shows us these things by, he's the one who says, look at the fruit. You must look at the fruit. And so at the same time, now the law is still a tutor, except I'm 
heart of heart. I'm a heart of heart. So where the law the first time around brought me to Jesus Christ, the law the second time around, it's more difficult to come to Christ. And it could possibly be where Hebrews 6 comes into play, where it is impossible to renew again. You see? That's not good. Never, ever be there. That's why when you have these sensitivities to the Holy Spirit, you know, if you commit a sin, the sin, remember the sin of omission and the sin of commission. Now, when you have sin, when you feel that conviction and you feel like gross, you feel like bad, you feel guilty, praise be to the Lord. That's a good sign. But if you commit sin and you feel like, like it's no big deal, that's not good. That's not good. You, you want your heart to be soft before the Lord at all times. Sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we have to make sure it's the Holy Spirit. Sensitivities are absolutely beautiful. But at the same time, Satan can capitalize on these sensitivities and say, you know, introduce the preacher guy, one of his servants, one of his messengers who comes in and says, hey, you know what? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, where the Bible says, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply. Isn't that a beautiful verse? And we can all say, yes, absolutely, this is a beautiful verse. And these servants of Satan will say, okay, therefore, let's these commandments that are being written, it's speaking about the, the law. So now let's start doing the things of the law. And the unsuspecting Christian, the unsuspecting Christian is caught. A hook in the jaw is caught. And then enters the Hebrew roots movement. You see? Oh yeah, I'm going to do the things of the law. I'm going to celebrate the feasts, the festivals. I'm going to do the Sabbaths. I'm going to do all these things because, oh, I have to honor the Lord. No, that's, you're, you're outside of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're in the Hebrew roots movement, I love you. But I say this to you, come out of her, my people. Repent and be born again and abide in Christ. Because if you're under the law, you are outside of Jesus Christ. You see? If you're under it, if you're abiding in the law of Moses, you are outside of Jesus Christ and outside of Jesus Christ, there is absolutely no salvation. You must abide in Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. And so we look at passages such as this, not just through the lens of the New Testament and the new covenant, but standing firmly on the rock of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. And so he says, you must be careful to observe in verse one, that you may live and multiply or live and increase. Now, this is absolutely desirable. You see those sensitivities that I mentioned? Wow, it's, I want to live. I want to multiply. I want to increase. And those are those sensitivities where Satan can have a foothold in your heart, in your mind. Satan can have a foothold. Wow, look, the Bible says this here in verse 1, and I want to live, I want to increase, I want to multiply. So, wow, maybe, since the Bible says this, and Moses is referring to the law and the statutes, you know what? Let me study the law and the statutes so that I can start to do them. But it's a trap. Because Satan wants you to leave 
Christ. Because in Christ, he knows you are safe. And he doesn't want you inside of Christ. You see, he wants you to walk away. He wants you to fall away. It's absolutely desirable to live and multiply. Absolutely, 100%. And when we consider the works of the law, all have failed. All have fallen short. Many have tried and all have failed except for one. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, born of a virgin. You see, he is the only one. Listen to our study through Galatians, and it will help you understand these things. And if you're in the Hebrew Roots Movement, I love you. I don't tell you these things to hurt you. I know, you know I've had these conversations with Hebrew Roots people, not the teachers. The teachers are servants of Satan. I mean, I've had these conversations with them too, but they're servants of Satan. I'm talking about with the parishioners of the Hebrew, Hebrew Roots Movement. And these are very difficult concepts to understand, but you must understand because if when I have these conversations with the Hebrew roots parishioners, the, the, the pew people of the Hebrew roots, what, what they think is that they're no longer God. They desire to do the things of the law in order to honor the Lord. And in that regard, the, the purity of that motive is very beautiful and if you're hebrew roots i don't say these things to be so abrasive to where it causes pain your the motives of your desires are beautiful beautiful but it's the servants of satan who capitalize on those things they take those feelings and desires that you have and they attempt to bring you into bondage you see, and what God's servants do, God's servants, servants of the Most High, they want to bring you out of that and into Jesus Christ. I'll say it again if you're in the Hebrew Roots Movement. Come out of her, my people. Abide in Christ and he in you. And so we see this, still in verse 1. You must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Now remember, this is pre-law. You see, promise. Because the Lord swore to your fathers. That's straight up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Pre-law. Now, the only law was circumcision. <laughs> you see, and as New Covenant believers, we know what that is. Belief. You see, and then in verse two, and you shall remember, I'll say this again. You shall remember. I'll say it a third time. You shall remember. It's very important because in this final discourse of Moses, he's telling the people, don't forget. He's telling the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. You don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Remember, 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 remember. You say, okay, I get it. Remember, don't forget. I get it. Well, you know what happens with the children of Israel? They forget. They don't remember. 
That's what happens. And we're going to see the ups and downs in Israel. But you know, you say, wait a second, that's Israel. Okay. I, 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 there's no argument there. But the same thing happens with us. The exact same thing happens with us because you know why? We tend to forget. We tend to forget. You know, sheep aren't the... Uh, the, 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 the the smartest animal in the animals in the bunch that's not sheep nor lamb and i love how the bible says you know hey you you know yeah, tend my sheep you know that tend tend the sheep it's like well, wait a second sheep aren't the smartest bunch you know and look at the mistakes that we get ourselves into bingo you see remember remember don't forget now, in order, you, you hear us say that the last day's church is four categories, false, apostate, entering apostasy, or true. Now, in order for the three categories of false, apostate, and entering apostasy, you know what has to happen? The Lord must be forgotten. The Lord must not be remembered in order for those three categories to even exist the Lord has to be forgotten. You see, it happens in the church age. It happens today in this age of grace that we're in, in this door of grace. It's not going to be open forever. It is going to close, which is referred to as the fullness of the Gentiles. You see? Verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to humble you, and test you. That's hardcore. Look at all the things we've studied from, from Exodus the the, the the leaving of Egypt from bondage in Egypt and the exodus from Egypt and we get into Leviticus and Numbers and we see the ups and the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly. And this 40 year, remember the 11 day journey became 40 years and we know why that happened, a result of Israel's unbelief and their fear. And these 40 years in the wilderness that the Lord the Lord was there and he led all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. And it says here in verse two, to humble you and test you, you see, to know what was in your heart, in your heart. You see, it's not logic and intellect. To know what's in your heart. Remember where we ended last week in chapter 7, Deuteronomy 7, verse uh, 26? You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it. The only way that can happen is with, it's not just religion to follow the dictates of a religion. It's much deeper. Look at people today. Oh yeah, I hate pornography. Oh yeah, I hate crack. Oh, I hate meth. Oh, I hate being a tax cheat. I hate this. I hate the lies. I hate this. And I hate the, all the works of the flesh they, they list. And they say, oh, I hate this. 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 But you know what? They do it. 
They do it. Oh, I hate the crack, but I'm a crackhead. Oh, I hate the pornography, but I'm a sex head. Oh, I hate the tax cheat, but I cheat on my taxes. Oh, I hate the lies, but I tell my lies. They're just little white lies. No big deal. Oh, I hate apostasy, but I read my study Bible, which tells me it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Oh, I hate apostasy, but I go grave soaking. You see? With the crazy love people. You see? Wait a second. The only way that you and me can abhor and detest the things that God hates, we have to consume him. It's deeper. It's not religion. It's relationship. And when I say we must consume him, remember Jesus Christ says, you know, you you, you have to eat me. And the Pharisees were like, what? Like, what? Does he want us to be cannibals? That's against the law. That cannibalism? What is he talking about? Because they were blind and deaf. He was referring to himself as the fulfillment, likening himself to the manna. And he said, I'm the bread of life. Unless a man consume me. Much, it's much deeper. He's speaking spiritually. The blind and deaf cannot understand these things. It's much deeper. And when you and I, when we consume him, that's what you hear us say from time to time, open up your Bible and make the pages white. I'm assuming your pages are white. But make the pages white. You see? Because you take every jot, every tittle of Holy Scripture and you consume it. Make the pages white. Take all these, every jot, every tittle, the good, the bad, the ugly. It goes in your eyes and right down to your heart and we consume him. You see? It's much deeper than, this is religion. It's not religion. It's 100% relationship, love relationship, intimacy with him. You see? And he says here in verse 2, to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. You see, not, not doing the works of the law, but to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And you say, whoa, this is hardcore. Because remember that 11-day journey became 40 years. Yes, as a result of their unbelief and their fear and their disobedience. Yes. But... What did the Lord do during that 40 years? Humbleness. To bring the children of Israel to a state of humility. You see, and humility is a beautiful thing because humility helps a soul see and hear. Old Testament, New Testament, and right here, right now. Humility helps a soul see and hear. You know what makes a soul blind to these things? Pride. Pride, arrogance. But humility, it helps us see. It helps us hear. In verse 3, so he humbled you. Notice, capital H, the Lord. So God humbled you. Allowed you to hunger. Whoa. Allowed us to hunger? Yes. Allowed us to hunger. Now, you say, wait a second. How, how, 
how can that be a good thing? I, I, I don't have any food. I, 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 I can't do this. I can't. I don't have any food on my plate. I, got, I need the nutrients in my body. What do I do? I, you say this is a good thing? It's a beautiful thing. It's an absolutely beautiful thing when the Lord humbles you. Now, it's much easier when you choose humility and you choose to be humble before the Lord. But outside of that, the Lord will humble you. The Lord will humble And I tell you this from experience. The Lord will humble you. And in verse 3, he allowed you to hunger. This is Moses telling, Moses lived through this. The, Moses lived through this. And he's dying, he's an old man, and he's telling the next generation, hey, don't forget you guys. You must remember that, how he humbled us in the wilderness. Now, turn with me to Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4, really quick. And here in Amos 4, this is a sad state for Israel because it, uh, Amos, you know, I'm no prophet nor the son of the prophet. Amos, the Lord says to Amos, Amos, you're a prophet. And he was commanded by the Lord. The Lord says, hey, tell these people to come back to me, to return to me. Tell them. And in Amos chapter 4, verse 6, also, this is, you know, Amos speaking, but, you know, thus saith the Lord. And he's also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. That's hunger. Cleanness of teeth. You know, in order to have clean teeth, you know what that means? You haven't eaten. I'm going to eat an Oreo cookie and then look at yourself in the mirror with your teeth and you'll see Oreo cookie all over your mouth. Or pork chops or, you know, some type of meat or corn on the cob. And then you look at your face in the mirror and you look at your teeth and you'll know, okay, you've eaten. But when you see cleanness of teeth, there's nothing in the little nooks and the crannies, that means you're not eating. Hunger. And here in Amos 4 verse 6, also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all of your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me. You see? And what we're reading in Deuteronomy 8, the Lord says, look, I, I allow you to hunger. Remember, to humble you. To humble you. You see? And in that state of humility, the children of Israel could see. State of humility is a beautiful state of heart, of mind, of body, of soul. Why? Because we can see. We can hear. We can understand. We can have eyes to see and ears to hear. But outside of that, when the posture of a heart is arrogant and prideful, you're going to be blind. And if you're listening and you still haven't heeded my urging to repent and receive Jesus Christ. You might be in a state of mind, in a state of body, where you, you are in that state of poverty and cleanness of teeth and hunger. The Lord uses these things. The Lord uses these things to open your eyes. Why? Because He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know that he loves you and that he cares for you. You say, well, how can that be? I'm hungry. How can that be? How can that be? Because I don't have food in my fridge. How can that be that I'm in a state of poverty? How can it be if the Lord loves me? Because 
you won't know his love, the fullness of his love, unless you can see and see clearly. And I tell you this from experience. The Lord wrecked shop on me, big time. He brought me to a state of humility, and I don't want anybody to go through that because it is painful. But the aftermath is beautiful because then you can see and have eyes to see and ears to hear. He gave Israel. I met Deuteronomy 8 Israel, and we're like, wow, this is the beautiful children of Israel about to enter the promised land. And you're like, wow, this is beautiful. And old Moses saying, you know, his final discourse, how beautiful. But the Amos Israel, woo, what happened? I mean, if, if you take the pages, I mean, I'm, if you could see me, I'm holding in between my hands, sandwiched in between my two hands is Deuteronomy 8 and Amos 4. And, you know, my Bible, it's about maybe an inch and a half thick, eh, maybe about an inch. A lot happens. A lot happens for Israel to get in a state of Deuteronomy 8 to Amos 4. A lot happens. They forget the Lord. Now, say you're backslidden. If you're a Christian, or maybe you've walked away from Christ, and you're backslidden, or you've completely abandoned the things of the Lord, I can take the pages of your life. The last day you stopped believing in the Lord and today, and I can take those pages and say the same to you. A lot has happened. A lot has happened. But I say this from experience. Do you know what's much, much, much better than you scripting your own life? You know what's much better? Is to allow the Lord to script your life the author and finisher, the author and completer of your faith. I've tried it both ways. I've written the story of my life and I failed. I mean, if, if you've been listening for a while, you hear me talk about suicide and, you know, the police and alcoholism and attempted murder. That was me scripting my life. And the Lord humbled me. The Lord humbled me and I yielded to him. And in so doing, he writes my life. And so when I say these things, you're like, okay, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm going to do my crack, whatever. I'll do my sex. I'll do my gambling. I'll do my prostitutes. I'll do my strippers, whatever. I don't know why I'm listening, whatever. No, you're here by divine appointment because the Lord wants you to hear these words. Come to him. Stop writing the pages of your life. Stop stop scripting your life. We go to scripture. And the Lord will write your life. I tell you the truth and I tell you from experience. And Amos. Amos in verse 6, I also I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me. In verse 7, I also withheld rain from you. In verse 8, yet you have not returned to me. In verse 9, I blasted you with blight and mildew. Still in verse 9, yet you have not returned to me. At the end of verse 9, 
In verse 10, I sent among you a plague at the end of verse 10, yet you have not returned to me. In verse 11, I overthrew some of you. At the end of verse 11, yet you have not returned to me. And you see Israel, all these opportunities for them to see the Lord in the state of humility that he has brought them to. And they can see the Lord and yet they have not returned to me because that's the state of their pride instead of being humbled. Instead of they themselves choosing humility, now look what happens. The Lord humbles them. Verse 12, Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. You see, it's not a good picture. But the same thing applies to you and me. When the pride starts to seep in, Now, in order for pride to seep in, something else is a precursor to that. You're one step in the direction of forgetting the Lord. You see? And when the Lord becomes forgotten, all these things, the works of the flesh, the carnal nature, starts to rise and erect itself in the pride of life. And yet the Lord still humbles. The Lord still wants us to choose humility, but when we don't choose humility, he humbles us. You see? And I tell you these things from experience. I don't want, I want everybody to walk with the Lord, but I don't want anybody, my my worst enemy, I don't even know, I don't even have a worst enemy. But if I had a worst enemy, I don't want him or her, I don't want them to take the journey that I took. I wouldn't wish that on any soul because it's painful. It was very, very, very painful. And but by the grace of God, here we are. I tell you these things because I love you. I tell you these things because I want you to have your heart in a state of humility. I can't command that. I can't force that. But I can urge you, I can warn you, I can beg you even. But ultimately, the choice is yours. You see? Ultimately, the choice is yours. I mean, when we get into the events of the last days, I mean, we've already started the events of the last days, but I'm talking about like the straight up, uh, like, uh, like plagues, what we read in Revelation. When those start to happen, the hardness of hearts will be like concrete almost. I mean, when you read the passages of scripture, you know, the people refuse to repent. The people refuse to repent. You'll see like plague, plague, plague. The people refuse to repent. Plague, plague, plague. The people refuse to repent. And then plague, plague. And then all of a sudden, the people see the Lord. The Lord humbles and he'll he's he makes himself known again he will make himself known again exactly the same way he did in egypt exactly the same way you see pharaoh thought he was god on earth i mean you you could argue say he was god on earth because the real god intervened the god of abraham isaac and jacob But in the last days, there is going to be another figure, a world leader who proclaims to be God. I am God on earth. He will proclaim to be 
And the Lord, the real God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will strike him down. And just as the plagues came to Egypt, the plagues will come to this world. You see? And then Exodus. The rapture of the church. Glorified bodies. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, wait a second, I'm pre-trib. Listen to our, you know, I love you. I don't hate you, but. Listen to our study. There's two studies you have to listen to. One study is uh, Jacob, uh, uh, Jacob's trouble ex- biblically explained. And the next one is when is the rapture? You must listen to those two messages because it will help you understand. I don't teach pre-tribulation doctrine. I don't teach that. Nobody can make an, a biblical argument for a pre-tribulation doctrine. Many try. Many, many try. Many believe it. There are movies. There's books. There's, you know, but you will, it's unexplainable biblically. It doesn't line up with scripture. It doesn't line up with the prophecies. Now, I know that's abrasive to a lot of people, if not the majority of Christians, which is why I say, you got to listen to those two messages, uh, Jacob's trouble biblically explained. And then, uh, when is the rapture? And then you'll understand. So let's go back to Deuteronomy 8 now. And in Deuteronomy 8, in verse 3, he says, So I humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, you see, that he might make you know That man shall not live by bread alone. And this is how Satan tempted Jesus. In Matthew 4, when Satan, the devil, Lucifer, Beelzebub, he goes to Jesus Christ and says, Hey, you know what? If you're the son of God, if you really are the son of God, you're hungry, you haven't eaten. And if you really are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You see? Turn these stones into bread. And the Lord, Jesus Christ, used the Torah, used scripture. And as is written here in verse 3, man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You see? All the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, all were of the law, were of the law, were of the law of Moses. But don't forget that the promise, the the promise is the origin given to Abraham. The law is the additive. The law of Moses is the additive. Listen to our Galatians study. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Emphasis on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You say, wait a second. If you're, if you're in the Hebrew roots movement and you still haven't heeded my urging to come out of her, my people, heed these words. Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And what comes from the mouth of the Lord? The words of Jesus Christ. 
the words of Jesus Christ. When he says, a man must consume me. And those who are blind and deaf says, what is it? Does he want us to be, uh, you want us to eat like, eat like cannibalism? Is that what he's saying? They were blind and deaf. He was speaking spiritually to those who have eyes and those who have ears to hear and see. And that's how man lives, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You know, if you're in the Hebrew roots and you're like, well, I'm doing that. Every every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Well, there's more. There's more than the Torah. I mean, in the Old Testament, there's more than the Torah. But now we have the New Testament. There's more than the Torah. Every word. Not just the words in the five books. Not just the words in the Torah. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. A lot of times people get stuck in the Torah. The Hebrew roots, they get stuck in the Torah. Oh, I'm going to do the feasts and the festivals. I'm going to do the Sabbaths. I'm going to observe this. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to honor the Lord. But the law, the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 8 says every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Because after Deuteronomy, there is more. Every word. After Malachi, there is more. Every word. You see? Even the Torah has a door. Capital D. His name is Jesus Christ. If you're in the Hebrew Roots Movement, take that door. Because that door leads you to Christ He says this in verse 4. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet, nor did, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. This is an Old Testament example of putting on Christ a garment that never, ever, ever wears out. For 40 years, I've had shirts for a couple years and they got holes in them. I like my old shirts. I pull them out of the trash sometimes because my wife throws them away. Old beat up shirts. I like them. They're worn, they're worn out in all the proper places. They're nice and comfy. And, you know, sometimes I throw like a, I eat an apple, you know, and I'm done with the apple and, uh, you know, I, I go to the trash and I, I see, she buries it in the garbage so I don't see it. But then I'll see like a little piece of fabric. I'm like, what? what? That's my shirt. What is this? And I look at the fabric and it's all buried under this trash because she doesn't like me pulling stuff out of the trash. And I pull it out of the trash. I'm like, what? No, this is my favorite shirt. She doesn't like it, but I like it. You see? But for 40 years, their garments, 40 years, their garments didn't wear out. An Old Testament example of you and me putting on Christ. And when we put him on, that garment never wears out. You see? In verse 5, you should know in your heart. See, it's not head knowledge. You should know in your heart. It's much deeper than head knowledge. That a man, that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Remember, he disciplines those whom he loves. 
Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. These are beautiful passages. But remember, I emphasize this again. It's not uh, in verse six. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God. It's not the commandments of Moses. The commandments of Moses, they themselves are the additive to the promise. You must, must, must listen to our study through Galatians. To walk in his ways, he says in verse 6, and to fear him. And I love this because this is an Old Testament example of predestination. You say, what are you talking about predestination? Well, remember how how you hear us say from Deuteronomy 8 to Amos 4, a lot happens to Israel in Deuteronomy 8. It's beautiful. Beautiful, 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 the, the, the Israel in Deuteronomy 8. Absolutely beautiful because it's the second generation. They've experienced, they've learned, they've been humbled, and now they're about to enter the promised land. But then you get to Amos 4, and it's like, whoa, what has happened? For the Lord to say, yet you have not returned to me, yet you have not returned to me, yet you have not returned to me, yet you have not returned to me. Whoa, a lot has happened. Well, here in chapter 8, verse 6, to walk in his ways and to fear him. But in order to get to the Amos 4 type of Israel, the Lord has to become forgotten. You see? But that doesn't mean that the, the predestiny wasn't there. The predetermined destination. Now, if you've been listening for us, with us for a while, you remember our study through uh, uh, Romans 9. Romans 8 and 9. And if you're, if you're listening and you happen to be Reformed Theory or Calvinist, listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Very important because you understand predestination. Now, in verse 6, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. That's a predetermined destination. It's like, you know, when you get in your car, you have no idea where you are, but you want a, you want a, a coffee. And you have no idea where's the nearest coffee joint and you go to your phone or you go to your car's gps and you say okay where's the nearest coffee and then it pops up boom it's three miles away you still have no idea where you are and it tells you you know you start driving it'll say you know turn left and right turn left and right you have to obey in order to get a cup of coffee you have to obey the instructions if you don't obey the instructions you're going to be lost you see you must obey. That's what people say. Predestination, predestination. Okay, predestination is beautiful. A predetermined destination. But in order to get to the coffee place, you have to obey. Predetermined destination. You know, when 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 God says, you know, you're predestined. Yes, predestined. But now we have to obey. Absolutely predestined. But now comes obedience. Turn left, turn left, turn right, turn right. Do U turn, do U turn. You see? Listen to our study through Romans. Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand even more, even deeper. And if you're Calvinist or Hebrew, uh, if you're Calvinist or a uh, Reformed theory, come out of her, my people. Because what's happening among the Calvinists and the Reformed is these are the ones who are saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You see, that's what, they're, that's what they're teaching from the pulpits. And if that's you, Calvinist or Reformed, 
listen to our study. You might have to search for a while because it's kind of old, but listen to our study. Do not take the mark of the beast. And you'll understand. You'll get it. And I say this again, come out of her, my people. So verse 6, walk in his ways and fear him. Now we get into verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. And we read this and like, whoa, this is awesome. This is beautiful. Now, in order for this to, yes, indeed, be beautiful, it's absolutely beautiful. But in order for this to be become reality, well, the Lord must be remembered. Israel has to walk in his ways and fear him. That's the predetermined. But in order for what is predetermined to be an actuality, obedience. Obedience. We read it in verse 7, uh, fountains of springs a flow out of valleys and hills. Obedience. In verse 8, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig, tree, big fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones and iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Whoa, this is beautiful. Where is this place, this promised land? A land of milk and honey flowing with milk and honey. But notice here at the end of verse 9, out of whose hills you can dig copper. And I love this <clears throat> because copper doesn't magically appear. Copper doesn't magically appear. They still have to dig. They still have to sweat. You see, and I'm not trying to say that we're saved by works. But obedience is required. You see, people say, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm a Christian, so therefore, like, all of these things are just going to, you know, uh, like, uh, uh, magically appear. I mean, you, you, you still got to work for a living. You know, oh, I'm a Christian, so therefore, I'm just... I think these things will, you know, oh, you got to give me this and, you know, I'm, I'm automatically going to be blessed. And yes, there are blessings of the Lord. But this was a problem in Thessalonica, too, because the people were like, well, we're Christians. I'm a Christian. So, you know what? Feed me. I'm a Christian. So, you know what? I'm hungry. So the Bible says you got to open up your fridge and give me some food. So give me some food. And then Paul caught wind of it. He says, wait a second. If you don't work, you don't eat. It is written. That's what he says. It. If you don't work, you don't eat. And I'm not talking about working for salvation. But I'm talking about oh, you know, this, this whole notion of, you know, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. So therefore, you know, give me your food in your fridge. I'm a Christian. So therefore, give me. Well, don't forget. You don't work. You don't eat. You see. Because. Not cleanness of teeth is one of the means by which the Lord brings a soul to a state of humility. Now, how deep that pit of humility gets, thats I have no business with that. How deep that pit gets, that's between the person and the Lord. You see? Now... The problem with that, I, I mean, that's not a problem. It's beautiful. The problem is a soul not being humble. And you see it. 
You see it. I mean, it, it's it's painful. You, it's painfully apparent because sometimes you see, wow, the Lord is really humbling this guy. The Lord is really humbling this guy. But then it's sad because it's like, wow, he doesn't even realize. Well, that's that's between him and the Lord. The problem is with, you know, the family of that guy. Because he gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into a pit. But wow, you know, his kids are starving too. You see? And Paul says, Paul caught wind of what was happening in Thessalonica. He says, okay, I'm pulling the plug on that. Anybody who doesn't work, they're going to starve. See, you don't work, you don't eat. No more burgers for you. You see? Now, in these last days, what do we have? Good old government. Good old government. Oh, yeah, just get your food stamps and welfare programs. and You know what happens? Government becomes God. In the absence of the real God. Now, I'm not saying the Lord is absent, but to those who don't acknowledge him, government becomes God. And then this beast rises from the sea. You see, when government becomes God, this beast rises from the sea as prophesied for the last days. It is written. It's all written. It's plain as day. Me, I should say plain as day, but then I shouldn't say plain as day because a lot of people don't understand. But they will. When the Lord makes himself known, they will. Now look what we see here in verse 10. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. You see, sacrifice and offerings unto the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We want to bless you with all the fullness of what you've done for us, Lord. Here we want to honor you. And here, Lord, we bless your name. We bless your name. But, verse 11, Moses he says, beware. I mean, you read the verse 7 through 10, you're like, wow, this is beautiful. This is awesome. And the land of milk and honey, look, you're going to lack nothing. And this is so awesome. But then comes the warning. Beware. Beware that you do not forget. Do not forget. I'll say it again. Do not forget. I'll say it a third time. Do not forget. I'll say it even a fourth time. Do not forget. Remember Amos? Remember that? Ancient, I'm going to... Maybe two inches, inch and a half, two inches. In my Bible, the Bible that I read, from Deuteronomy 8 to Amos 4, about an inch. I'm pressing hard now, so maybe like an inch, inch and a half. A lot happens. And Moses says here, do not forget. And you know what happens? Israel forgets. Judah forgets. You know what happens in the church? Christians, we forget. Remember the four categories? The church in the last days will be false apostate enter, entering apostasy, or it is true. In order for the populace to be in the three, the Lord has to be forgotten. Happens the same. Observe Israel after the flesh. Now look in the mirror and observe ourselves in the spirit. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form. Remember, the law is sandwiched in between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. The law points to Jesus Christ. 
Listen to our study through Galatians. You'll know more. Do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest, lest when you have eaten and are full, bellies are nice and full. They've had the, the fullness of what we read in verse 7 through 10. And wow, everything, they had the, the fig trees and the barley and everything's nice. They got the valleys and the hills. They got the brooks and the waters and nothing without scarcity. They're lacking nothing. They got the iron. They got they can dig copper and everything's beautiful. And now when the bellies are nice and full, in verse 12, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, like, wow, they're so blessed. And all that you have is multiplied. Whoa, look how blessed they are. When your heart is lifted, which says what? When your heart is exalted, when it becomes proud. When your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God. And Moses, remember in verse 11, beware. Don't do this. Don't forget him. Here you have this second generation. This second gen first generation is dead and dying. Moses is of that first generation. And that second generation, wow, this is so beautiful. And then this final discourse of Moses, you're like, wow, Moses, come on, we want some pep talk. You're, you're talking about, you know, like, we're going to forget the Lord. How can you say that to us? Because, you know, look, we, we've learned from our fathers. And come on, Moses, we're, we're going to go to the promised land. Can't you give us some kind of a pep talk? No, he's obedient to the Lord. He's telling them what they need to hear. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Because when you remember, things are going to be beautiful. But when you forget... Things are going to get ugly. Look at Amos 4. Things are ugly in Amos 4. What happened? What in the world happened in that inch and a half? I don't know what Bible you. It might be an inch for you. It might be two inches. It might be three inches. I don't know. But that gap between Deuteronomy 8 and Amos 4, a lot happens there. Israel forgets. When your heart is lifted up in verse 14 and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty lands where there was no water, who, who, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. Remember an Old Testament example of Jesus? Remember our, our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4? That rock was Christ who fed you in the wilderness with manna. An Old Testament example of Jesus as the bread of life. Which your fathers did not know. You see? Your fathers did not know. That first generation. I mean, imagine if we're there in the camp. Or the second generation. Some of us are, you know, 20, 30, 40. We were, maybe some of us are 50. You know, we were little kids in the, the, the first generation when we left Egypt. And we're like so excited to get to the promised land. And then we're like, we hear Moses saying this like, wow. Come on, I want, I want some kind of pep talk. We're about to go into this beautiful area and you're going to say this, Moses? But he's causing us to remember and telling us, look, 
Your remember that first generation? Your dad? Your parents? Who are dead now? You see? They forgot? That's powerful. That's powerful. And these are things that the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they should have known these things. I mean, I I could understand testing Jesus. I don't mean like testing him, like, you know, testing Jesus. But I meant like, if we were Pharisees, say we're Pharisees, and we hear John the Baptist, or like there's all this hullabaloo about John the Baptist. And all these crowds like, wow, what are they saying? What, what, what's going on over there? What's the crowd? And then he's proclaimed, oh, you know, the, 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 the kingdom is now, the, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of our Lord is, is here. And we're like, what is he talking about? And say we're Pharisees, okay? We're Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees. We're of the law. We're the religious leaders. I, I say we're Pharisees. Scratch the Sadducees. Sadducees, you know, don't, 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 don't believe in the resurrection. So say we're Pharisees. We're teachers of the law. And we're, we work in the tabernacle. We work in, not the tabernacle, we work in the temple, in the synagogue. We work there. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is baptized. We'll, we'll say a guy is baptized. And John the Baptist is saying he's the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, as Pharisees, I could understand testing Jesus. I could understand that. Having a conversation with him. See, because remember, we have... We have a job to do as Pharisees, inquiring, asking him questions. And he would say, you know, it is written. I mean, he would cite scriptures and we'd have to like, you know, circle back and look at like, okay, we got to go back to the synagogue and open up the scrolls and make sure that what he's saying is true. And wow, you know what? I remember studying that like in deep, deep, deep in our, in our studies under Gamaliel. I remember studying that hardcore and here, here this, I'm sitting at the table and this guy is just citing it like it's nothing. And it's like, wow, how does he do these things? I could understand testing him, not not the carnal testing him, but just, just biblical qualifiers using the, the law, the Torah. But then getting to a point and realizing, oh my goodness. The Messiah is here. And then telling the people, look, Jesus Christ is here. The son, the son of the Most High, the son of David. As prophesied is here. And as John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he must increase, go to him. All the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees saying, we must all decrease and he must increase everybody, go to him. You see? Because the law points to Jesus Christ. Instead of having this, oh, we're hardcore, we're of Moses. Jesus was, how can you be of Moses when Moses wrote about me? You're not of Moses. You see? And even, even Paul, before his, when he was Saul, when he was persecuting the saints, he was abiding in Moses. And abiding in Moses at the Damascus Road, even he was a, a spiritual blindness, but then at the Damascus Road came the physical blindness. He couldn't see. You see? 
And then his vision was restored and he had eyes to see and ears to hear. And he was like a sponge. Remember, he's, I didn't go to the Christians. I didn't go to Judea. I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't do these things. And then he comes out left field. I went to Arabia. <laughs> you think, you think, you think. He'd want to speak to some Christians, you know, and maybe some of the heavy hitters. You know, I, I want to know. I want to make sure. <laughs> he said, I didn't, I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't go here. He left field. I straight up went to Arabia, you see. And his intimacy with the Lord and the Lord himself showed him and revealed himself deeper and deeper and deeper. And his intimacy with the Lord became stronger and stronger and deeper and deeper. And then he became dangerous because the religious leader says, okay, we'll, we'll let Paul teach in the synagogue. We used to call him Saul, but if he wants to call himself Paul, that's fine. He wants to be in the synagogue, fine. That's no big deal. But in the course of time, he was maturing and growing. And then he became dangerous. You see, he becomes dangerous, and now the religious leader says, you know, now he's a threat. Now he's using the law, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Now we got to kill him. You see, Paul became dangerous in this dangerous environment. He became dangerous. That's why you hear us say from time to time, in this dangerous world that we live in, you, my beloved brother, you, my beloved sister, we must become dangerous in these dangerous times, spiritually speaking. And the fathers did not know, continuing in verse 16, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Translates as to do you, to do you good at the latter end and at the end time. You see, when Israel herself, the scales fall off her eyes and they see, what are those wounds? What are those in your hands? And the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It was here I was wounded in the house of my friends. And all Israel will have great mourning realizes, oh my goodness, we crucified him. We crucified him. Don't forget the Romans also crucified him both Jew and Gentile. Read the prophecies, Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, and you'll see. It will do you good in the end. In verse 17, then you say in your heart, this is when, when, when God becomes forgotten, in verse 17, then you say in your heart, you see, it's deep down. My power and that the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You see? This is, this is what happens when the Lord is forgotten. We see it in Lucifer too in, in, in Isaiah 14 when, you know, the five I wills of Lucifer. I will be exalted above the most high. And the Lord says, that's not happening. Boom, you're cast out. You see? It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing at all. 
when a soul says in his heart, when a soul says in her heart, my power, the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. This is a result of forgetting the Lord. You see, these carnal Carnal skills and carnal ability is tied to oneself instead of the handiwork of our Lord. I have a friend who's an investor, not a believer, but I have a friend, he's an investor. He does all yeah. There are some who do better than him, some a lot better than him. But he always uses the term leverage. Oh yeah, we gotta use all these financial terms. It's like, well, whatever, dude, you know. But he's not a believer. Oh, we gotta leverage this, leverage, and you just do this and this and bada bing, bada boom, and leverage this and leverage this. Leverage is of the flesh. Leverage is of the blind. Leverage is of the deaf. Because God's hand, things just fall into place. I don't want to say they magically fall into place because that's of the occult, because it's not magic. But if you're listening and you're unbelieving, if you're listening and you're heart of heart, if you're listening and you still haven't heeded my urging to become a believer... If you're listening and you hear me say, the hand of God, things just magically happen... I say magically not to disrespect the Lord, but to jolt you so that you can understand that the hand of the Lord, which isn't magic, but to help you understand that things just fall into place. And my friend who's an investor, oh yeah, you just got to leverage this and leverage that and look at this portfolio. We leverage this, leverage that. What, the, what are you talking about? It's a tool of the fool. A tool of the blind. A tool of the deaf. We have no eyes to see or ears to hear. And I tell you the truth, the handiwork of our Lord, I don't like saying that it just magically happens because I, I know that it's not magic. But I say this to the unbeliever. It just happens. It's the blessings of obedience. Things just fall into place. Things just, it's, it's the hand of the Lord. I mean, if you're a financial guru, you know, there's the invisible hand. If you're in economics, you know, the invisible hand, economically speaking, the invisible hand. Well, I don't, I don't even like likening that to the invisible hand of our Lord because even the in, like that so-called invisible hand, it's visible. But you must have eyes to see and ears to hear. Oh, we got to do that. Leverage this and I'm going to do this and leverage here and leverage here and bada bing, bada boom. Okay. That's like verse 17. My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Okay. That's a couple steps in the wrong direction. It's called forgetting the Lord. But when God is remembered, when God is remembered, look at verse 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the who gives you power to get wealth. Now remember, this is Israel after the flesh. 
You see, observe Israel according to the flesh. You and me according to the spirit. It's a different ballgame. It's a different ballgame. This is Israel according to the flesh. Now, carnally speaking, I know people and have friends that make six, seven, eight, nine figure income. Very wealthy in accordance to the flesh. Nine figure income. Spiritually speaking, I know people that live in a, a family that lives in a 10 by 10 room. That's their house. Not just one room. That's their house. A little, uh, like a, uh, like a, a little, like a bubble in the corner, which is their oven, their stove, and it's like their everything. It's their heat source. A 10 by 10 house. Not a room. It's a room, but it's their house. And a big cot in the corner. It's like, a, it's not like a little cot. It's a big cot. And you know who sleeps there? The whole family. Everybody. Mom, dad, kids, sometimes grandparents, everybody sleeps there. Talk about body warmth, you know. 10 by 10 and a dirt floor. Dirt floor. And these are among the most wealthy people I've ever known in my life. The most wealthy people. You say, wait a second. What about the guy with nine-figure income? That's wealth according to the world. That's wealth according to the flesh. What about this family? Ten by ten, dirt floor. That's real wealth according to the Spirit. And they love the Lord. You see? Barely, you know, single-digit income. Nine-figure income compared to one-figure income. You see? A ten by ten... Dirt floor versus, uh, you know, 10,000 square foot house. It's, it's different. A lot of times people say, oh, yeah, you know what? The blessings of the Lord, it's financially. The, the blessings of the Lord, it's money. The blessings of the Lord. Those are the money preachers. Those are the money preachers. Now, I'm not saying that the Lord can't bless using money because that is one of Many things that the Lord uses to bless. But if the Lord, when the Lord knows that a person is going to be irresponsible with those things, he withholds that. He withholds that. You see, that's that's how he works. We see it Old Testament, New Testament. That's how he works. And we see like these promises, like in verse 18. Now, you hear me say how the Hebrew roots, the Hebrew roots people, the, the, the servants of, servants of Satan, the teachers of the Hebrew roots, they use these passages to seduce people into the law, which is an attack of Satan. Well, you know what another attack is? The money preachers. The money preachers. Look, you know, they, you turn on TBN, tricking believers nightly, and the money preachers, they say, look, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, it says here, when you remember the Lord, that he gives you power to get wealth, and therefore you get wealth, and here you got to tithe a thousand bucks, and tithe, if you tithe a hundred bucks, or if you tithe a thousand, the money preachers use it too. You see? But the remnant of these last days, Bereans of these last days, we know. We stand on the rock of salvation, which is Jesus Christ, not seduced into the law, not seduced into the money preachers. Now, if, you're, if your teacher is a money preacher, I say this to you. If your pastor is a money preacher, I say this to you. Come out of her 
my people and abide in Christ. The biblical Jesus. It is prophesied that many Christ will come and many teachers and many prophets will proclaim these false Christs and false messiahs. It is prophesied to happen and we're living in the times in which it is happening. And I say to you, come out of her, my people. You see, instead of you being having cleanness of teeth, let those teachers have cleanness of teeth. Not you, as a result of heeding the false teacher. Heed the wise teacher. You see, like the Paul, like the Timothy, you see, like the Peter, like the James, like the Titus. Heed them. Because they watch out for your soul. They don't watch out for their wallets. They watch out for your soul. Straight up. Your soul. Not your body. I mean, they want good things for you. Your soul before the Lord. You see? So verse 18 and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish or he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day, which he swore to your fathers, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you see, biblically, that he, the end of verse 18, capital H, God, may establish or confirm, God may confirm his covenant. Satan tries to copy this using his vessel, the Antichrist. You see? His vessel, but ultimately as we get further in the last days, Satan himself will indwell this political world global figure who comes on the world stage to confirm the covenant with many. He's a copycat. Remember, he wants to be God. He wants to be God, the Antichrist, indwelt by Satan. And he also confirms a covenant. But when that happens, the confirmation of the covenant, boom, the final seven years of world history. The, what do you call those things the, where the sand lives, the piece of glass, it looks like the hourglass. Oh, it's the hourglass. You know, it's the shape of the hourglass. Boom, the Lord tips it and boom, the sand starts to go down. Seven year time clock. It starts at the confirmation of the covenant with many. Because in accordance to the law, the Torah, here in verse 18, that God may confirm his covenant. And Satan wants to do that. Satan wants to be in the place of God. And so he confirms a covenant. Except that covenant from Daniel chapter 9. That's one of the signs of the last day. One of many, many, many signs of the last days. That's a little marker, a little marker for unbelieving Israel. Now, if you're Jewish, if you're Jewish, I know a lot of Jews who are very cautious of Christians. Wow, you Christians are crazy. And if you're Jewish and you're listening, yes, Christians are crazy. Absolutely, Christians are crazy. But you must understand that there are four categories of the Christian church. False, which means they're crazy. Apostate which means they're crazy, or entering apostasy, which means they're crazy, or true, which means they're the remnant. 
Some of them might be crazy, but in a good way. You see, if you're Jewish, you must understand those four categories. You say, wait a second, I, I'm Jewish, but no, no, no. I'm very cautious with you Christians because Martin Luther did this. Martin Luther writes this. Absolutely. I, I'm in complete agreement. What Martin Luther did with the New Testament, he should have done with the Old Testament. And he didn't do that. And because he didn't do that, he didn't understand the Hebrew text to understand in accordance with the Hebrew text that God's promises aren't over to Israel. If you're Jewish, wait a second, I'm very cautious with you Christians because of the Gospel Coalition and John Piper. I'm in complete agreement with you, my Jewish friend, 100%. Remember the four categories of the last day's church? Three are straight up crazy, false apostate or entering apostasy. Well, Piper's in one of those three. I could say specifically which one, but I'll save that for another day. Piper's in one of those three. If you're Jewish... I want you to know that in me, you have a friend. I love you. And it is prophesied that blindness has come to Israel to provoke the Jews to jealousy. You say, whoa, wait a second. That's kind of mean. What are you talking about? Well, I like to think of children. You know, you have a child that, you know, is a little grumpy and, you know, doesn't do things that are exactly right. And so you take the other child and you say, okay, here, I'm going to give you this toy. And here, child, you play with this. Now, the other child and you, the other child says, well, wait a second. I want to play with that toy. And that little child is provoked to jealousy. And in that provocation into jealousy, it's a tool that is used by the parent. To get that child on board with the other child and say, okay, everybody is in complete alignment with what I desire as parent. Now you say, wait a second. What in the world are you talking about? Do you remember? It is written. What well, historically happened. Pontius Pilate. Here we have your king before you. Who do you want? Do you want Barabbas? We want Barabbas. But I have your king. He's your king. We have no king but Caesar. You see, we have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. His blood be on us and our children. Whoa. And then the blindness entered the camp of Israel. But it's not going to be forever. Paul was blind in accordance to the law. Paul himself was blind to the things of the Spirit. And the Lord restored his sight. And in that restoration of sight, he himself was humbled. A student of Gamaliel, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And in his state of humility, he was able to see again. Sight restored by the son of David. You see, not two messiahs. One messiah, two comings. He came the first time as the lamb and he was crucified the Passover lamb. And he's coming the second time as the lion of the tribe of Judah. You see? And just as Joseph was unseen by his brothers. Joseph, what are you talking about? We're going to bow to you. You're crazy. You and your dumb dreams, Joseph. Get out of here. 
You see? And then Joseph. Zafnat Pnea. Unknown to his brothers. And when his brothers realized who he was, what did they do? Exactly what the Lord gave to Joseph in his dream. They bowed down to him. The same will happen with an unbelieving Israel, with the revealing of Jesus Christ. What are those wounds we see? It was here I was wounded in the house of my friends. Sight restored by the son of David. And I speak according to the promise. I speak in accordance to the seed, the holy seed. Fulfillment of the promise and also fulfillment of the law. The promise to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. If you're Jewish, come to Christ. Believe in Him. Receive Him as Lord and Savior. And if you're Jewish, hit pause and listen to the message how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And if you're Jewish, you commit your life to Jesus Christ and then you come back. And you listen and you study. And we grow together. Look at who's in our camp. Former Hebrew roots, Jews, money, former money preachers. Look who's in our camp. Former Calvinists, former Reformed. It's a big camp. It's a big camp. It's a beautiful, beautiful camp. On our way to paradise. You see? A land flowing with milk and honey, and I speak according to the Spirit, and milk and honey are what can be consumed that does not require death, that was not previously alive. How beautiful. The New Jerusalem, as we study, it just so happens that we studied this on Sunday, the New Jerusalem. Now look what happens here in verse 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Remember, at the end of verse 16, to do you good in the end or to do you good at the latter end or to do you good at the end time. Now, prophetically speaking, all Israel will be no longer blind anymore in accordance to the prophecies of Zechariah 12 and 13. The fullness of the Gentiles, then boom, all Israel will be saved. But if you're Jewish, get a head start. Get a head start. And you believe in Jesus Christ, Son of David, Messiah, Son of God. Right here, right now. Verse 19, in closing. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God. Remember, look at this. When God is forgotten, this is when, this is when the fall begins, when God is forgotten. Look what happens. If by any means, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods. So the Lord is forgotten. Now, other gods are being followed and serve them. They're being followed. Now they're being served. And then that we have 
the end game right here and worship them. Whoa. That's what happens. It's a progression. It's a degression, I should say. It's a progression of wickedness, but it's a degression of righteousness. When God is forgotten. Remember Balak? Balak. How? I can't defeat Israel. Israel is strong and God is with them. I can't defeat them. So how do I do this? And through the counsel of Balaam, he learned that in order to defeat them, he has to get them to deny the Lord and forget the Lord. And how does he do that? He doesn't send the warriors down to fight against them, to beat them and kill them. He doesn't send the mighty warriors down. He sends the women down, not to beat them up and not to kill them. He keeps them alive. But he sends the women down for the sex and the intermingling, for the intercourse. He sends the women down. Now the women say, oh, you know what? We're, you know, we did the deed. Now, you know, let's just, let's bust out this bale. And let's just start to serve these bales. Now you have these guys. Oh, you look here. Picking up the bales. Okay, look, we're going to. Now they're serving the bales. And then what do they do? They bow down and worship the bales. You see? And we see Balak as a type of Satan, and that's what he does. What do I do to get this guy to fall? What do I do to get this gal to fall? You see? Oh, I'm going to send him the women. I'm going to send her the man. I'm going to send this guy the things of the flesh, the crack, the meth, the pornography, the sex, the gambling. I'm going to send all these things. But then you have somebody who loves the Lord and fears the Lord. Now Satan changes his tactic. He says, okay, I can't get this guy to fall with the, th the flesh. So I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to get this guy to fall using the Bible. He changes his tactics. You see? And in changing his tactics, he uses the Bible and says, okay, Look, it is written here in chapter 8, verse 1 of Deuteronomy. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply. Therefore, since the Bible says it, therefore you have to do it. You love the Lord, you fear the Lord, so now you have to do it. Start doing the feasts, the festivals, the Sabbaths. Start doing these things. And you know what? Christians get trapped. They get hooked. It's a trap. Remember Paul? I fear for you, he says. I fear for you, he says to the saints in Galatia who bought the, who took the bait. They bought into the lie and they were being seduced. They weren't being seduced. They were already seduced. They were straight up seduced. He says, you observe the feasts and the festivals. I fear for you guys. Did I labor for you in vain? Do I have to birth you again? You see, you tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? You see, that's what Satan does. Just like Balak, oh, how do I get Israel to fall? I'm not going to send the mighty warriors. I'm going to send the women down. Because I want them to, I want them to worship the Baals. So how do I do that? You see? I don't need to send the warriors. I'm going to send the women. Satan does the same thing. Through the counsel of Balaam, Balak learned how he gets Israel to fall. And Satan knows how to make men fall, how to make women fall. He uses the things of the carnal nature, the things of the flesh. That's when you're a baby. 
That's when you're immature in Christ. And when the Lord is forgotten, when the Lord is remembered and the Lord is known, he comes at you with the Bible and he uses the Bible, specifically the law, specifically even further, the Torah, because he wants you to get you to Hebrew roots. You see, he wants you to enter the law and leave Christ. And you think that you're abiding in Christ. Well, the word became flesh and we're in Deuteronomy 8 and therefore I'm going to do these things. No, you have exited Jesus Christ. You see, it's a trap. We study the Torah on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Always consuming the manna. Spiritually speaking, the word of God, which became flesh. We don't fall for those things. We have the full counsel of the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. We're in the, our studies through Galatians. We know these things. And therefore we live. The promise unto Abraham effectuated by our belief in Jesus Christ. And therefore we are heirs. Not according to the law. According to promise. By faith in Jesus Christ. And yet the Lord says here in verse 19. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them. And that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to worship him. And he knows that in order for you to worship him, in order for me to worship him, the Lord, God, Jesus must be forgotten. And he uses whatever tactic he can use to get you to fall, to get me to fall. But where are the warriors who know and will fight and will die for the name of Jesus Christ? Where are the warriors in these last days? That's what I want to know. And I will canvas the earth to find them. He says, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Whoa. Moses, we want a pep talk. We're going into the promised land. We want... Can't you tell us good things? This is a good thing. This is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. Moses doesn't want the Lord to be forgotten. He wants the Lord to be remembered. Moses wants what we read in verses 7 through 9. He wants that for the people. He wants that for this next generation. In verse 7, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Moses wants that for the people. And in this final discourse, saying to the children of Israel, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Remember, 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 remember. In saying these things, now the ball's in their court. Ball's in your court, Israel. I'm an old man. I'm going to die. You must remember. You must obey. Ball's in your court. But the same thing applies to us. Paul, pouring into us, teaching us, 
inspired of the Spirit, writing these things down, James, John, Peter, Matthew, Luke, Mark. You see? Pouring into us. Godly teachers pouring into us. Now the ball's in our court. What are we going to do? I pray we choose obedience. I pray you choose obedience. I pray that we choose obedience all the days of our lives so it may be well. Not for in this world. So it may be well for our souls. We're in the same boat. You see? Obedience is a choice. Obedience doesn't just, it's not, oh, you're you're predestined to heaven, so therefore you will be obedient for all the rest of your life. That's unbiblical. If you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed, I love you, but listen to our studies through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You'll understand about predestination. I mean, if predestination were true, if, big word, big one, if, if, if I mean, predestination is true, but if Reformed theory were true and Calvinism was true, if predestination is true, but we have to understand what it means biblically. But if Calvinism were true, if Reformed theory were true, do you know that those fellowships, the Reformed, the Presbyterian, the uh, Calvinists, they should be the most godly people ever. But we don't see that. We don't see that. They should be. Because if they're predestined for it, like obedience, you should see obedience like, whoa, this is like everybody, like no crack, no drugs, no sex, no. No alcohol, no... These guys are like, what in the world is this? If they're predestined for heaven and the Bible says, obey me and follow me, and the Bible says this, and if these people are predestined for heaven, whoa, there's no drugs, no sex. But what happens when you look under the hood and you look inside? Well, what's up with this guy? He's a sex head. What's up with this pastor? He's a sex head. He's a crackhead. He's doing his meth. He's a trafficker. Look, what's up with it? He's a gambler. He goes to the casino. What's up? What about this lady? Look, she's a tax cheat. Look at this lady. She's cheating on her husband. What? What are these kids? They're they're in the occult. I'm just saying, if if reformed theory were true, if Calvinism were true. Now, I don't say if you're Calvinist and reformed, I don't say these things to hurt you. But let's be honest, you know, let, let, let's look under the hood, you know. Let's not deceive ourselves. You know, the proof is in the pudding. We got to look at the fruit. You see? And I say this to you if you're Calvinist and Reformed. Come out of her, my people. You see? And let us all abide in Christ, choosing to obey. We see the, the promise, the, the the, the, the predestination, a predetermined destination. And in order for you and me to get to our final objective, Zion, listen to our study on Sunday. It just so happens we studied this. We have to obey. GPS says turns left, we turn left. GPS says turn right, we turn right. 
That's what you and me, we have to do, obey. You see? And faith without works is dead. Faith without obedience is dead. Belief without obedience is dead because even the demons believe. You see? Brother James says that. And when Brother James writes about works, he cites Abraham. You look at Genesis, you read Abraham, and everything he does is in obedience to the Lord. Not works. Obedience. You see? And I don't want faith to be dead in you or in me. I don't want faith to be dead. I want faith to grow. You see? He says this in verse 19 in closing, Then it shall be if by any means, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify you, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish. Whoa! Moses, come on! We're going to the promised land. Can't you tell us the good things? This is a beautiful thing. He's to remember the Lord. That is a beautiful, even if it's scary, it is beautiful. I don't know about you, but that's scary. So you shall perish. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. The Lord is reactionary and he responds to obedience and he responds to disobedience. He blesses obedience and there's some bad things for disobedience. One of them being perishing. And the Lord is reactionary. Why? He says this in verse 20. Because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. You see? Not righteousness through the law. The law is right smack dab in the middle of the promises. The promise to Abraham and the seed goes down and the law was added and the seed, boom, Jesus Christ. You see, how beautiful is when, when we read these passages as new covenant believers, we realize, oh my goodness, Lord, you're so good. You're so good, Lord, because look at all you've done, not just for me. Lord, look at what you've done for the entire world, for everybody. You see? And we're going to end our study here and Lord willing pick up in chapter 9 next week to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. I don't care if you're Jew, Gentile. I don't care if you're Reformed, if you're Calvinist, if you're Hebrew roots, if you're uh, money preachers, if you're listening to those guys. I don't care, but I say this to you. Come out of her, my people, and let us walk. Let us grow. Let us mature let us fight. Let us engage in these last days. God bless you. I love you.